Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Hello and welcome to the Money Nerds podcast, where owning a calculator, budgeting your money, and having a net worth is actually cool. I'm your host, Whitney Hansen, and each week I'll be chatting with inspiring people to learn their secrets to financial success. Now let's dive into the show. I think we all know that money is just a tool. Money helps you have a better life. It can make your life worse. It can be all kinds of things. But at the end of the day, it's all about how you use money. That was one of the common themes that I gathered from today's conversation with Sherry greco Rikus. Now, if you're not familiar with Sherry, she's a total rock star. She's co-founder, principal, and chief visionary officer of Rappaport Rikus Capital Management. It's an independent SEC-registered investment advisor. The firm was founded in 2005 to offer comprehensive financial planning and investment management. Sherry is the architect of the firm's Maximize Your Return on Life solution, which aligns clients' financial planning with their core values. She's a frequent speaker on financial planning and values, and she also wrote a really great book called Maximize Your Return on Life, Invest Your Time and Money in What You Value Most. She enjoys mentoring women in the wealth management profession. We cover a lot of ground in this episode. We really dive into why do people forget to consider their own values before making their financial plans. I have been super guilty of this myself, where I started going down this path that I thought was maybe perfect for me. And then when I stepped back, I realized it wasn't actually aligned with my values. We talk about how to start the values conversation with the most important people in your life, understanding that your values may change and probably will change, why Sherry decided to write her book, We dive into seven non-negotiables of your finances. These are so good. So if you're just getting started with your financial journey or you're trying to figure out, am I on the right track? Am I missing anything? These are seven things to think through that will really help you ensure that your path is progressing as best as possible. We also talk a lot about tips for separating emotions from your finances and sticking with your plan. If you have had a hard time sticking with your plan, you definitely want to tune in towards the end of this episode where we talk about how to separate emotions from finances. I really enjoyed this conversation. I think you're going to as well. If you do enjoy this episode, do me the biggest favor. As a podcaster, one of the greatest compliments and things that you can do to support this podcast is leaving a five-star review. So if you enjoyed the episode and you feel like you really learned a couple things, please take a couple minutes and just leave a review. It means so freaking much to me and I read every single one of the reviews. Thank you so much for your support. Now let's go ahead and dive into the conversation with Sherry greco Rikus. Hello, hello. Welcome back to another episode. Today I am joined by a total rock star, Sherry. Thank you so much for hanging out. Well, thanks for having me. 
We are really excited to learn from you today. And I'm specifically curious how you got so passionate about money. Can you take us back a little ways and tell us like, was money always something that came natural to you? Or is this something that you had to learn over time? You know, I think for a very long time, uh, my history, my biological father passed away when I was eight years old and uh, he was only 32. So you can imagine my mom who was young at 30. I was eight years old. My brother was just born. It was three months. And, you know, back then times were very different. Uh, there was some money, but not a lot of money. And I saw my mom have to go to work at nights. I saw how she clipped coupons and how she saved. And and we had a lot of mac and cheese at those times, a lot of uh, SpaghettiOs and, and all those kinds of things. But, um, you know, that was my first introduction. And fortunately, my mom got fixed up with Dante Greco, who was in banking, and they were married, and he actually adopted me. Uh, he had two community banks. He ended up growing it to five. Um, when I went to college, he gave me advice. He said, be an accountant, because uh, bankers don't know uh, financial statements as well as accountants. I knew I wanted to go into banking, so I worked at Arthur Anderson auditing banks, and eventually I joined my dad in the banking business. But my dad was pretty smart. Through high school, I worked as a teller. I worked in the loan processing. So, you know, I got to see a lot. And I saw the stress of people coming in, needing loans, not sure they were going to be able to get the loans. And I just saw a lot of stress with money, whether I was a teller and someone would come in to take money out and there wasn't money there or they needed to get loans. And so I decided pretty early on that I really wanted to get into helping people and with money. And um, I kind of joke, because you were reading a lot of the money stuff when you were younger, I read your bio. Um, even when I went to overnight camp, all the kids were getting magazines and um, my dad would send me the stock prices because I used to follow stocks. Stop. Even Yes, I did. <laughs> even when I was young, I, I would follow certain stocks and I was always really interested in it. And um, through the years, I went from banking, then I went into money management. And about 15 years ago, I started my own firm. And what the sole mission was really to maximize the return of our clients' lives, not just their financial returns, which a lot of people can do, but really holistically looking at their values and coordinating all that together. So I'm so pleased that our firm has grown. Uh, we're over 730 million. We have 300 lives that we hope we're maximizing the return on. And I know we'll talk a little later, but I thought I could reach more people through a book. So that's, that's kind incredible. of a brief history. history. So. Oh, I love it. It's an incredible history. I love how passionate you are about helping people holistically. So many times I see a lot of people do a great job in one specific area, but they fail to realize that we are multifaceted. We have lots of values and things that are important to us. And so I loved in your book that you mentioned this so much. So why do you feel like we skip values first? <laughs> what is it that we do? Why do we tend to skip that step? Well, I, I think, you know, in the investment industry, we all get a lot of education. We, we take a lot of courses and we're so impressed with everything that we know. And we want to talk about statistics and ratios. And usually it's just a glazed look over the clients. And when I bring up values, when I, you know, I do a full financial plan and I use all of their assets and all the statistical analysis. But 
behind the scenes, I, I talk with their values. And usually there's one spouse that's very interested in the numbers and there's another one that didn't even want to come to the meeting. <laughs> uh, but once once I talk about values, they kind of perk up. And, you know, I had one couple uh, that was a new client. They said they spent more time picking the color of their new car than they did on their values. And um, it, you know, about during the pandemic, I had a little time and I got my certificate in applied behavioral finance, which really comes uh, to fruition on how much the emotions and, you know, your early memories of money affect how you spend money today or how a significant other, you know, and, and you need to be on the same page. Um, and, and it has to start with the values. It, it, it just can't start with the numbers. I mean, the numbers are important, but it has to start with the values. I completely agree with that too. I think the values piece is so overlooked and maybe partially because we get kind of intimidated and scared thinking about our values and that can bring up some childhood trauma and it can, it can really open a can of worms for us. So I can see why people might be afraid of that, but how do we how do we start that conversation with maybe our partner or ourselves? Yeah, well, I usually start um, with a list of values. So I show them the okay. list and I ask a few questions like, what brings you joy? What makes you really happy? When you look at one of these words, what pops out at you? I, I, I have the, I have a hundred, it's in my book, a, a list of a hundred values. And I tell everyone, circle the first 25 that you see. Don't even think about it. Circle, 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 circle then take a breath, then knock off 10. So you're down to 15. Then take another breath and really think about, you know, what brings you joy? What kind of legacy do you want to leave? What's going to cause the stress to go down? What value do you want to give to the next generation, to your family, to friends? What is really important to you? And try to limit it down to five. I have some overachievers. I'll let them do seven. But, <laughs> um, but you know, you need to kind of, and, and that, the value is your guide. And it's not just your guide with your money, but I really want to stress with your time. There, there's a finite amount of time. Hopefully there's an infinite amount of money. You can make more money, but you can't. And so I use this as a roadmap. And, and in my book, I mentioned, have you ever gone to the grocery store without a grocery list? you know, you end up getting wasabi chips and you get the ice cream and you get all these things. And if you had your list of 10 things, you'd be in, you'd be out and you'd get that. And that's what this core list of values are. It's this guide. And if you don't have it, you know, you're just all over. How do we keep track of our values? I know that sounds like such a weird question, but do we put this on our wall? Do we like have to visually remind ourselves of what our values are? I mean, I like to have people do that. I say put in a little piece of paper in your wallet. So mm -hmm. when you have a big decision, pull it out. You know, am I mm -hmm. going to move into this new condo? It's a little pricier. Well, is it one of your values? Uh, are you going to take this big trip? And and I'll mention this probably a couple times in this podcast, but my dad, who was my mentor, he used to say, you can have anything you want, not everything. So pick Love what's it. most important. And clients, friends of mine. I mean, I'm like a broken record with that quote. And they'll call me up and they'll say, I know I can have anything I want. I really want this. Well, then it may mean that you have to keep your car a year longer, or it may mean you can't go to Starbucks every day. But what's important to you? And so keeping that list handy. Uh, what also is very interesting, because I've worked a lot with people on this, is 
your values can change when there's significant events. So I think this pandemic has caught people to revisit their values. Having a child, your values may change. Getting married, if there's a life event, a death in the family, whatever it is, um, this list is not forever. This is a time, this is what is good for you today, but you need to revisit the list and challenge yourself to update it. That, I think that's a really good point to bring up because so many times I've even thought through my own life where I came across a list from like five or six years ago of things that were my goals, which were hidden as values, let's be real. Yeah. <laughs> but it was it was there and I'm like, oh, that was really interesting that that was so important to me then. I could care less now. But you're right. We do have to revisit this stuff. I, I think that's a really good idea. And your values are kind of, if you kind of think of a funnel, the values are on the top and they create your goals. So you mm. you not kind of need that structure. But you mentioned something just a few minutes ago, and this is a missing piece I often find, is you need to share your values with your loved ones, whether it's mm. a spouse or a child or whoever it is. Because if you're not, if, if you're person that you spend a lot of time with doesn't understand your values, they may not understand your behaviors. And often financially, you have to make decisions together and you need to, to look. And, and it is amazing when I, when I have these clients come and I give them each the sheet individually and they do their values. And sometimes they're in sync and sometimes they're not, but they're <laughs> sometimes surprised. I had one client whose values ended up being adventure. And the other spouse was completely, what do you mean by adventure? She says, when I was younger, we used to go to Costa Rica. We used to travel, used to, we haven't done it. You know, we go to New York, we do these things, but, you know, that's one of my values. And I feel like I let that, let that go. And so they're now looking like, what can they do that would give her that adventure? You know, that's and cool. so you have to really share it. I love this. Okay, look, tell us a little bit about your book. I think it's incredible. Why did you write this book and what can people expect if they go through it? Yeah, so I, I wrote this book just to have a bigger platform because I'm so passionate and anyone that will listen to me, I started a blog about two years ago called Maximizing Your Return on Life. And it really took off because, you know, at first I thought this book was going to be for the 50s or 60s kind of looking at their next chapter. Mm. But I'm finding it's almost every generation is finding this in their book. And it's it's where do your values tie into your time and money? And how do you make a conscious effort to do that? And there's a lot of things that I give a lot of financial tips in the book. But what I find is a lot of things out there are very boring. No one wants to read about 401k plans. No one wants to read about asset allocation. So if I can wrap my personal stories and funny stories and make someone think about it, I thought it would go a long way. And through the blog, I'm constantly getting feedback that you've taken a very complex principle and drilled it down in an understandable way. And I'm just so energetic. I have this platform and I kind of think if I can change one life at a time and they pick up two things from this book, I feel like I've done my job. Oh, I agree. For, from the book's perspective, what are what are the chapters or what are the pieces that you enjoyed writing about most? Um, I guess everything, but there's a couple that really stand out. Um, there's one that's called Target Dates, Fears, and Tears. Mm. And uh, I don't know if you, my, my daughter... Um, 
who never asked me for anything. I always ask her for fashion advice, but she finally <laughs> called me up. She started her first job and she's like, mom, I have this 401k choice. And she goes, wait, what's a 401k? So I had to explain, this is some money you're not going to touch for a while. And we discussed the match that she should put enough in so that, she, that the company will match. It's kind of free money. And then she says, well, I ha there's a, all these choices. So we looked at it together and I said, you know, pick the Target uh, 2060 fund. And she said, great, great, that's great. Target 2060, does that mean I'm going to make 60%? I go, no, that's the year you're going to retire. She says, 2060? No, how can I retire then? <laughs> and I just thought that was uh, that was kind of a, a funny chapter in the book. But um, so I call it Target Date Tears of Fears. She's fearful she has to work so for cute. another 40 years, but she has the right investment. So that was a fun chapter. Um, there's another one that's uh, past your turkey in addition to your values. And I talk a lot about um, that we all were, there was a funny line in here. I said, the kids are home, the refrigerator's all stocked. And my daughter caught me. She goes, mom, the refrigerator wasn't really stocked. It was stocked with healthy food. There was nothing to eat. But I, uh, but they came home for Thanksgiving and I decided that our family Thanksgiving, we were going to each share a value that was important to us. And oh, cool. we went around the table and did that. And in my book, I challenge people to write that down and to share it. So those were kind of some fun things. And I think we're going to get to it later, but I kind of have some non-negotiable financial tips. And These again, so if, good. if people pick up one or two, I'm thrilled. So or like five or seven in my case. Five or seven, <laughs> hopefully, hopefully, hopefully. Yeah. I love that you mentioned these non-negotiables because let's let's go through them. The seven non-negotiables I think are so important and so sometimes we think we know these things, but we're not actually implementing them. So it's such a good thing for people to go through. So let's start there. What is the first non-negotiable? That we need to okay. think about. Uh, this one is kind of interesting because, you know, people have read the book. They said, I don't think of this as a financial, but the first one is make sure you get to all your doctors because health care costs are rising. And if you're not healthy, that can derail your budget and it can really hurt. So I, you know, a lot of people put it on hold during the pandemic and, you know, get your mammograms, go see your doctor get your shots, get what you need to get done. So that's really the first non-negotiable. There's some doctor's appointments, you know, you may not love going to the dentist, but get it done because yeah. what you do now will have an impact. And, you know, I kind of give extra credit with each one and kind of the extra credit on this one is start some kind of physical activity, get your, drink your water and have some physical activity. So that's probably the first one. And you do triathlons, right? I, I did one. I, uh, I uh, you know what? I challenged myself. I joined a group of women and we did a sprint and it was just more, you know, I didn't set any records, but I just, every year I try to do something. And I also encourage people in, in my book, just try to do one thing because we can't do yeah. 10 things. And that was my one thing. I was going to do the triathlon and I was really excited and really proud. And it got but me in the pool be. after all these years. I love swimming now. So really? try, try something you loved when you were younger and go do it. You know, I love so, that. I think that's such yeah. a good tip. Okay, so get into our doctors. Make sure we're scheduling those appointments. Any other points on, on doctors or is, should we move on to the second non-negotiable? Yeah, I'll cover a little bit later on the insurance. The second one is sure. kind of the legalese, I call it. Um, mm -hmm. The first one is make sure you have an updated updated healthcare power of attorney. And you really want to, I mean, you can, there's 
you know, a Band-Aid one, you can go online and look in your state and get the updated. But you want to make sure that you you know who's going to make those decisions for you. And you also want to make sure those decisions are made within your wishes. And if you're 18 or over, you need a health care power of attorney. You are an adult. Um, and I've had so many cases of kids, you know, in college where the parent, they don't have a health care power and the parents call and they won't give them information. So get that health care. And depending on the stage of your life, you know, you may need a will, you might need an estate plan. Um, that's something. But even if you don't have that, make sure on your 401k plans or any IRAs, you have a proper beneficiary. Uh, if you get married, make sure you change it and take your brother off because I had a client <laughs> oh. that came. Yeah, it's it happens. I had a new client. Her husband unexpectedly passed away. We weren't involved in the beginning, but uh, he had worked at a company for 25 years and the two brothers were on there, not her. And it was a big, big legal mess. So wow. when your life changes, make sure you update that. And also never have an account just in your personal name. So make sure that you either have joint with someone or you have a transfer on death. So God forbid something happens to you, it doesn't have to go through the courts. So that's kind of the boring legal stuff, but it's really important. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that because that's a reminder for me to get the transfer on death stuff. <laughs> I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> I tell you, you know, no people don't think learn. of that. Oh, you can, you know, okay, you learned something. I, I feel I like did, I've done my I'm, job. I'm one done, thing. Sherry. We're good. Yeah. <laughs> and we're on the <laughs> number two. Just think what you're going to get. Yeah, people are like, Whitney needs to get her stuff together. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Okay, so that is a very, I think those those two are, they're scary but important. And I know right. those are a really, really great place for a lot of people to begin. What's our third non-negotiable? Know all your insurance and oh, start yeah. with your health. Um, you know, if you have a plan at work, make sure you understand it. Don't just automatically take the cheapest plan. Make sure if you have if you have any kind of medical issues or anything that the doctors that you need are in the plan. Know what your copay is so you know what's in network, what's out network, know what you're out of pocket, and know if you have something called a health savings account. Maybe your company offers that if you have a large deductible plan where you could put some money tax free. So the first thing is, you know, health insurance is so important today. If you leave a job, make sure you understand the COBRA, compare that to what you can get on the exchange. If you don't have health insurance, do not stop go. If you're in between jobs or self-employed, make sure that you have some kind of health insurance. Um, you should also understand your disability insurance because, you know, you could get injured. You could have, I have a client, a young client that had to have some uh, heart surgery. And she really, uh, luckily, we knew ahead of time and she got paid for the three months that she was out. Okay. And she really um, is doing great now. But you have to understand what the disability is. And, you know, depending on your age, um, know what your life insurance, if there is life insurance. Sometimes you can buy at a pretty cheap rate, extra disability and extra life. You should also find out if it's portable. So if uh, you find out you have uh, 
some kind of diabetes or multiple sclerosis or something, mm -hmm. um, maybe your life insurance could be portable if you leave, which means you can keep the life insurance. So, you know, knowledge is power on the insurance side. These are not fun things. You're legal in your insurance, but they are important and they can cause catastrophic damages to your financial well-being. Oh, totally. I, I like that you mentioned that for disability insurance specifically. I feel like so often we hear about life insurance and health, but we don't hear often about disability insurance. From your perspective, at what point in somebody's life should they start having conversations and thoughts around disability insurance? Yeah, I mean, that is probably used more than life, and it is so important. So, you know, if you're single and people aren't relying on you, you might not need it as much. And if you have a backstop, you can always move home with a parent or a family member. That's fine. But once you are married and you have kids and people are relying on you and you have mortgages and you have college you're saving for, you know, you you, you really need to look at the life and disability. I call it liability planning, the what mm -hmm. ifs. What could happen? And is your family going to be covered if this happens? Makes sense. And checking the beneficiaries on those too. Yes. <laughs> no more sibling. Get your spouse on there. <laughs> Sorry, brother. No. <laughs> That's so good. Okay. So we've covered three now. What is your next non-negotiable? Uh, it's having a budget and really um, getting that budget. And there's quick and there's money. There's a lot of ways to do it, but I find the people just don't take the time to do it. So I have a pretty quick fix, I call it. Mm -hmm. uh, it's pretty well known. It's called the 50-30-20. 50 percent mm -hmm. should go towards your basics. So, you know, I get the question all the time, how much should my mortgage be? How much should my rent be? So you kind of take your salary and 50 percent of it should go towards rent, your health insurance, your co-pays, uh, your uh, insurance, um, your groceries, your medications. I kind of say, what does it cost to turn on the lights every year? These are these are non-discretionary expenses. These are things that you need. So 50% should go to that. And then I look at the 30%. I call that the fun stuff. That's the discretionary. And that's where your values come into play. Uh, mm -hmm. What do you want to do with that? Is it, do you want to travel? Do you want artwork? Do you want jewelry? Is it, do you want to get Starbucks every day? Do you, you know, want to take Uber instead of public transportation? You know, what, what is your, do you want to take a cooking class? You know, what, it, what is important to you? And that's the 30%. And then the 20% is kind of paying down your debt and also um, saving. And we'll talk about number five as part of the savings plan. I'll go into more detail. But the problem comes in if your basics are more than 50%. So you move into this condo or this apartment that you actually love because it's in a good location and it's close to work and it has all the amenities, then your discretionary might need to be reduced. The numbers add up to 100. So if, if let's say you have large student loans, then maybe, you know, you can't take those trips for the next few years. Remember, I'll say this probably five times, you can have anything you want, not everything. So by using these guidelines um, and looking at your values, you can really follow this. Um, another key to financial happiness, and that's in the book, another one of my favorite chapters, is to live within your means. If you live within your means, everything else goes into place. You have less debt, you have less stress, you have more flexibility, and you can start to do number five, which I'll talk about in a moment. 
Kate, okay, first and foremost, tell us what living within your means is. I feel like so many people don't quite even understand what yeah. that concept means. It's spending less than what you have coming in. So basically, we all have a net amount. Hopefully, we're all working and we have a net amount coming into our bank account. And you should spend less than that. I, I encourage people to usually have one because budgeting is hard and a lot of people aren't going to do it. But the back of the envelope, I encourage everyone to have one bank account mm-hmm. and have all your credit cards, all of your car payments, everything going through that bank account. And look at that debit amount every month and look at the credit amount every month. Credit is money coming in. Debit is money going out. And the C should be before the D. You should have more money (laughs) coming in than going out. And that's a real easy way of looking at it. And if we don't, hypothetically, what would you, how do you coach people that you work with? Like, what what are you telling them? If you're looking at this, you're like, yeah, your budget's way out of whack. We got to get this in order. What do you typically do? Yeah. And I have an exercise in the book, like what are the top five things you're spending money on? And a lot of it's going to be your rent. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe it's a fancy car. And really look at these top five things and take that value list and compare it. And are those things you're spending on, is it your values or is it society's values? Sometimes, you know, you want the fancy car and you want the fancy clothes and the purses and the jewelry because you think that's what society's values are. But are they really your values? And if if those uh, debits are larger than the credit, you have to make changes and you had their hard changes, but you have to be because if this keeps going, it, it's going to cause more of the debt, which means less in the discretionary future spending and more in the paying down debt. Yeah, I completely agree with that too. As a financial coach, I see a lot of really sad situations where people were spending, kind of as you mentioned, for society or to look like they had their stuff together. Right. And that is it's really sucky when you have to make those decisions. Right. It's not fun. It's not fun, fun, but you will be happy in the long run when you do. I I think that's an important reminder for a lot of people that are going through that. So I appreciate that. When it comes to budgeting, do you have like a personal favorite way of maintaining your budget? Is it Excel? Is it a notebook? Is it an app? What do do you personally like to use? I mean, I personally, I like Quicken because it gets pretty easy and you can use the categories, but um, I think the old debit credit trick works too. You know, that doesn't lie, (laughs) but you need one bank account, you know, because if you have scattered bank accounts, you might have a couple credit cards and, you know, if I like using, you know, one credit card and having a safety credit card. And a lot of the credit card companies at the end of the year will give you kind of the breakdown of where you're spending your money. It's not exactly the way Quicken does it, but it's a good check again. We're, we're, you know, look at those categories. Is it within your values? And it begins with your values. And then you compare. And when people are creating a budget, is there like a frequency or any, any, I know you, you've studied behavioral finance. Is there any like tips or hacks that we can use to help us maintain our budget? Yeah. I mean, take the emotion out of it. You know, I think that, you know, you get so excited and you get nervous about creating a budget. So, you know, just, I kind of look at it twice a year, you know, in January and, you know, looking at your last year's budget may not be a good indication because COVID there's a lot of things we didn't do. And now we're all so excited. So it's a great time to recreate your new budget based on your values. But um, I usually encourage, you know, January and July is a good time to kind of see how you've done, 
what you need to make changes. And just because you get that bonus doesn't mean you have to spend the bonus. So I guess the hacks are really looking where you spend the money. Knowledge is power on that. And, um, you know, every time you make a purchase, you know, maybe set a dollar limit. Every time I make a purchase over $200, I'm going to ask myself questions. Do I really need this? Does it fit within my budget? And does it fit within my values? And if the answer isn't yes to all three, then maybe it's time to pass on it. So, you know, maybe kind of give yourself a test. I think that's smart. And I like even to before when before we started talking about some of the non-negotiables, you mentioned having your values on a note card in your wallet. And maybe if you're on the fence of should I actually purchase this? Does this actually fulfill my my life and bring me joy? We can pull out those those little values and say, you know what? It doesn't fit. So I'm going to put right. this nice sweater back and maybe I'll do it next year. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> I like that tip. The next one you mentioned was saving. Can you talk to us a little bit about saving? Sure. And I always say pay yourself first. Um, yeah. And it doesn't matter how much you save. It's the habit of starting to save that mm. is really, really important. And there, are, I've done a lot of statistical analysis that if you start saving in your 20s, versus your 40s, we're talking hundreds of thousands of dollar difference because the time value of money is so strong. So there's a few ways of saving. Um, I always encourage uh, the 401k, which I talked about before. So there's a couple benefits to that. One is that money goes in and you get a tax benefit, so you don't have to pay the earnings. So if you put 3000 in there, you don't have to pay income tax on that money that you put in the 401k. It also grows tax deferred, which means you don't pay ongoing taxes on the growth. You have to, you don't have to worry about it till you're 72. And for most of us, hopefully that's a long way off. The third is that companies will often give you a match. So they'll say for the first 2% you put in, we will match 2% or we will match a quarter of a percent for every percent you put in up to 1% or 2%. And that's free money. And I don't know about you, but who does not like free money? So amen amen on that. So make sure you get the match. The other piece of this is once you set up the 401k, uh, make sure that you get the right asset allocation or the right investment choice. And Mm -hmm. I always advocate going to something called a target fund. Look about the year you plan on retiring, pick that target fund. It is well-diversified which means it has stocks and bonds and U.S. and international. It has enhanced returns with reduced risk and low cost. So I love the target funds. Almost every plan nowadays has it. Sometimes it's the default of the plan. Uh, We're getting a little in the weeds here. um, And, you know, you might want to check with a tax advisor, but there could be advantages for something called a Roth 401k, and some employers offer that. And that is instead of your money growing tax deferred, it grows tax free. So when you're 72, you don't have to pay taxes on it, but you don't get a deduction. So everyone has different tax plans, but a lot of people I know will put half in the Roth and half in the 401k and kind of look it over. But that, you know, we're getting really in the weeds. And I, you know, I think you said, you know, I don't think we have two hours on the podcast. I could talk an hour on Roth IRAs. So maybe we'll, I'll come back and talk about it. Yes, but there's a lot of information on that. Um, the other savings is for a specific goal. So maybe you want to buy a car. Maybe you want to 
get a condo, but you kind of want to put money away for that goal and 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 break it down. You want to buy a condo in two years? What's the down payment? What's the monthly amount? And make sure that you keep that in a safe type of investment like cash or bonds. You don't want to lose money on that. What if you were ready to buy your condo in March of 2020? You had it all in stocks. You had your 100000 and they're ready for the condo and it went down 30%. So make sure that you keep that safe. And I can't stress the last one enough um, is you've got to start building an emergency fund. You know, we've heard a lot of people lose their jobs. A lot of things have happened. And you should have at least, at least six months of that basics. You know, your rent, your food, your medications, your insurance. And that emergency fund will give you that peace of mind. And again, you need to keep that in a stable bank account. Um, I, you know, obviously they're saving for long term, but if you can get those three started, I'd be thrilled. And you might, there might not be a lot to save, even if it's $50 a month. It's that act of saving that'll become a habit. I like that you're focusing so much on the habit piece, because it does seem like if I know a lot of people go into this self-sabotage mode where if they don't have thousands of dollars per month, they immediately think, well, what's the point? This is going to take right, me 20 right. years to get. Should I even bother? But you're saying, yes, it, it's the habit of training yourself to do that. So when you do get more money, you can funnel away more. Is, is that a fair assumption? Exactly. You want to start, you know, habits could take a year to continue. And and so you might even set up a separate account where you where you transfer money. And it's like paying yourself. You know, you transfer the $1,500 to the emergency fund. You, you transfer for the specific goal, but you get it out of your account and you move it out or you start, you know, an investment program or whatever it is, but it's just getting in the habit. So getting into the weeds a little bit, I know you and I could totally nerd out on this all day, but when people hear six months of emergency expenses, I know sometimes they think, why do I need six months? Like what's the magic behind six months? Do you have any, any reasons on like why that's a good amount to save? Yeah, I mean, hopefully, if if there's a, a change in your career, there could be some severance. You could get paid a month or two. You might get paid a few weeks, but that at least gives you some time to breathe. I mean, frankly, I'd love a year, but let's start with six months. And that gives you, you know, a little time where you don't have to leave your apartment. You don't have to give up your lease. It gives you time to look for a new job. It just... Um, lets you continue. Um, And so you need that breathing room and it just kind of, again, takes the stress. I mean, I would like a little more than six months, but I, you know, you, hopefully you'll be able to figure out your next step or your lease is up in three months. At least you can get through the lease. You don't have to break your lease and pay a penalty. It just gives you that little breathing room. So maybe a weird question, but when somebody hits their six months of their living expenses, they're like, we're set. We've got enough money there. Do you recommend should they continue until they hit a year or are they okay to push pause at that time? Like how how do you suggest people approach that part? Yeah, I mean, it's how confident you are in the job. You know, if you're at a big company and you're doing well and you, you know, but if your company's had a lot of mergers and transitions and you might see the writing on the wall, then continue. But you can always take that money and start a long-term plan where you can invest in stocks and bonds. You can always use that for emergency. Um, there's a chapter in my book is what's your emergency gas stations. It's almost like when you're driving your car and you're on empty, you better know where that next gas station is, especially in a road trip. Yep. And my husband always likes to be on empty. And and, and I just take pictures <laughs> of it all the time. He's, and I'm always like, 
a sweating because like we're on the tollway, we're driving to Cal you know, California. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, where's the next, but you know, there's a, in, in addition to the emergency fund, I give a few tips in the book, like maybe you can borrow against your 401k. So see what, what you can do. Um, Make sure you have in your mind, is there a family member? If you had a crisis, mm. you could go to. Uh, you have this emergency fund. If you own a home, maybe you should just get a home equity if you have some equity. You may never use it, but that's another emergency fund. So I kind of go through life advising people to know where your financial gas stations are and have these emergency funds. And so by having them, when life happens, you know where you can go. Makes sense. Okay. Um, I think that's a, a very good point and a good segue into our next non-negotiable. So what is the sixth non-negotiable? Um, know your assets and liabilities. I'm uh, a money nerd like you. Um, well, I shouldn't say you're, you're a cool nerd. We're both cool money nerds. But, <laughs> We're both cool money nerds. <laughs> yeah, but I like every January, I kind of sit down and I make a list of my assets. And that's basically my retirement account, my investable assets. I own a home, um, any other major assets. If you own rental property or whatever that is, I make the list of the assets. And then I make a list of the liabilities, which would include your mortgage, any car payment, payments, any um, school loans, any other personal loans. And I kind of compare, I take the assets minus the liabilities, and that's kind of my net worth. And mm -hmm. did that go up or down every year? I actually do it a little more than once a year. I do it quite often, but I just kind of want to see is the trend going up or the trend going down. Um, then I want to drill a little deeper with the assets. I want to make sure that I'm not highly concentrated in anything. And mm. I certainly am not. I'm a big fan of something called index funds. So I believe in low cost diversified funds, but take a hard look. Uh, did you buy Apple and it went up a lot the last few years? Maybe you need to dial it down a little bit. Um, do you have, you know, what is your asset allocation, your mix of stocks and bonds? Did it creep up to 90%? Are you comfortable with that? Is there money you might need in the future? Uh, look and see where you can get that. So really kind of look at the assets. And on the liabilities, take some time. Uh, interest rates are at an all-time low right now. Uh, could you refinance your mortgage? Um, you know, you didn't have to pay some of the student loans. There was a time, you know, during the CARES Act where you had a little relief, but what are the rates on those loans? Are you paying off the loans that have the highest rates first? You're just paying them all off um, in tandem. Maybe you had a bonus that you can add to pay down the loans. Um, and so really take a look at that. And if you have young kids, uh, babies, you know, did you start a 529 plan this year? So just, you know, kind of know that net worth, know the assets, make sure you're going in the right direction and really look at that liability. Have you, have you taken on debt? Did you need to take on debt? And what are those rates? And are you going to get out of the debt? And do you have a plan to get out? That's very smart. I love that. And I love that you track that stuff at least once a year. I know you yeah. definitely do it more frequently. It's kind of the, yeah. the fun part of finance. Um, yeah. What is our, our last non-negotiable? Is don't uh, let emotions take over. Oh. And there's, you know, and it's so easy. And we kind of talked a little bit about that for before, um, especially with your budget. You know, don't let other people dictate what is good for you. And don't, you know, there's a lot of encouragement. Come on, let's go to Cabo. Come on, let's do this. We're going to go to this fancy restaurant. Let's get this bottle of wine. I mean, look at what's important to you. 
just because you don't join a friend for that expensive dinner, they're still going to be your friend. Maybe you'll have them over to your home for dinner. Um, you know, you don't have to go to the most expensive resort to have a good time. So don't let the emotions and keeping up with the Joneses um, derail your plan. It's your plan, not someone else's. And on the investment side, um, there's a there's a chapter in here how investing can be like your first crush. So remember yeah. your first crush back in sixth grade and you, you know, you really liked Mark and, you know, Mark was actually my first crush and he read my blog and found me on LinkedIn. So it was pretty funny, <laughs> but you know, you like Mark and Mark likes you and everything's going well. And that's kind of like when you start investing and then all of a sudden you hear rumors that Mark likes Sally and, and maybe he doesn't like you. And that's like investing. The market goes down and you get fear and you get nervous and you're like, well, maybe I should just dump Mark. Like you should just dump the stock market because things are going down, but you you have faith. Mark comes around. It's you he wants. The market recovers and back up. And, you know, the only thing I know is that the stock market's going to have up and downs just like our first crush. And you need to have patience. And a lot of people got out last March and the market has never been higher in the last year. I think, you know, it's up quite a bit. And you need to get the emotions out of it and just stick with your plan, your plan, not someone else's. You're going to hear from your one friend, get in the market, get out of the market. You Now's a great time to buy stocks. You should buy this stock. You know, listen to yourself and get the emotions out of it. So that's kind of the last non-negotiable. And it's so easy to get emotional. It's just it human so nature. Easy. Yeah, I, I've seen this a lot. And to be fair, I'm not, I don't have a strong stance either way on like cryptocurrency, but I'm seeing this a lot where people are selling their stock portfolio and trying to get that quick win from crypto. And that is such an emotional ploy too. I'm like, no, that's terrible. You're just missing out on so much growth there. It, it breaks my heart. Yeah, there's a, a, in my investor behavior course, there's a term called recency, mm. where people feel whatever is recent, the recent trend is going to continue forever. And they hear about it and they want to get on the train because their friend was on the train. Well, their friend may have bought it a lot earlier True. and they take mental, mental shortcuts. And, um, I was in another article, uh, it's this mental shortcut. It's a riddle that if a bat and a ball is a dollar 10 and the bat is a dollar more than the ball, how much is the ball? So the bat and a ball is a dollar 10, the bat's a dollar more than the ball. Nine out of 10 people will say the ball is 10 cents, but it's not. Mm, the ball is five cents. So the bat is a dollar more than the ball. So the bat is a dollar five and the ball is five cents. So that's a dollar 10. If you said 10 cents, the bat and the ball is a dollar 10 and the ball is 10 cents. That's a dollar 20. And that's a mental shortcut we take. And these mental shortcuts are what people do with the FANG stocks, the Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, Google. They're doing with the cryptocurrency. They're doing them because they just take the mental shortcut. It's going up. It, it, it can't continue to go down, especially when I own it. So, you know, if you have money a little bit that you're willing to risk, do it. But if it's for one of these things like your emergency fund or a specific goal, do not do it. Mm-hmm. Or your 401k, your long-term retirement. Let that just ride with those index funds I talked about. I think that's really, really good advice. I appreciate you sharing that too. This has been very eye-opening. I have a few to-do list items myself. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm going to be busy this weekend. I, I do love it though. I think it's really great practical advice and your non-negotiables are so great. For everybody that wants to get their hands on your book, and I highly recommend it. It's very practical 
I think this is what I loved so much about it is you combine storytelling with very practical exercises for people to go through. And so I, I just thank wanted you. to give you some props there. It's really great. Thank you. Thank you. That was for the, the book. <laughs> yeah. You, you could tell you, you hit it out of the park. You really did with the, the book. Where do you recommend people go to get a copy of this? Yeah, it's on Amazon and it's maximize your return on life. Uh, or you could go to my website at Sherry Greco Rikus.com. I think it'll all be on your podcast. Yes. And those two places you can get the book and would love to hear your thoughts. Um, like I said, it's people have told me this is a graduation gift they're giving to the college grad. People so are giving smart. this as a wedding gift. Um, you know, I had an 85-year-old client of mine call me almost in tears, said he wished he would have read the book. 40, 50 years ago because mm -hmm. he was a workaholic and he felt like he didn't maximize his return on life. He maximized his return on his career. And yeah. he, there were some things in his life he would have done differently and he's buying it for his kids and grandkids. And it made me feel really good that if, again, if I can just change a few lives one at a time, then it made it all worth the while. It was a labor love of love that. writing this book. So I can only imagine how long did it take you? Well, I, I started the blog a couple years ago and, and this was my first book. So it, it took a while and there was a pandemic. And, you know, I'm <laughs> also a founder of my own money management firm, Rappaport Rikers Capital Management. So, you know, running the firm, getting people calm during the pandemic. So it, it could have been, if I was full-time writer, it would have been a little shorter, but it's been a couple of years. But um, I'm, I'm just, you know, it's just very interesting that it came out kind of, you know, hopefully at the tail end of the pandemic, because I just hear time and time again, people are revisiting their values and revisiting what's important to them. They definitely are. We're seeing that a lot with everybody leaving jobs that they realize now are not serving them. And right. that comes with a whole other set of financial stuff to think about. So I think your book's timing, uh, whether intentional or not, is perfect. <laughs> yeah, and Whitney, if I just kind of add, you know, a lot of I've had people ask me, well, I'm thinking of making a career change. What should I do financially? And I think to myself, you should have been doing these seven non-negotiable things before. It, yep. It's it's like, You're you so know, I, I want to do something today. What should I, you know, you, sh you should have planned for this. And by doing these things, you will have the flexibility in your life to take a sabbatical, to make a career change, to do other things. But you need to do these seven non-negotiables. Oh, that's such good advice. Sherry, we will have everything linked in the show notes for the people to read your blog, get a copy of your book. I'm so grateful for your time, but before we officially part ways, are you down for some rapid fire questions? Sure, love them. Let's do okay. it. Okay. Okay. First question for you, where's one location you're dying to travel to? Uh, probably back to Italy. Oh, yeah. Greco's uh, my uh, Italian part of my family and uh, love. I love Italian food, love Italy. We were there about four years ago and I want to take a bike trip through Italy. So that's that's one of my goals. Love that. OK, and it fits in my values. So it's <laughs> all good. I'm going to make it work. <laughs> <laughs> that's exciting. Where in Italy would you go? Uh, well, we always like to start in Rome and Tuscany, but I'd love to finally get to Sicily. I haven't been to Sicily, so love to get there. But I know it's going to be a while with the pandemic. But yeah, yeah. So I'm it. going to Santa Barbara. They say it's like the, it's like it's Italy a little bit. We'll see. So I'm staying oh, local fun. here. So I'm doing that um, for my husband and my our anniversary. We're doing a, a bike trip through uh, through California. So. 
Amazing. Happy anniversary. Thank you. Very exciting. Okay. Next question for you. I personally am obsessed with people's morning or evening routines. So tell us what is, are you more of a morning or evening person first? Morning. Okay. So what's your current morning routine? Yeah. So most mornings, um, I'm fortunate that I live by uh, the Lake Michigan. So I get up and I either listen to a podcast or music and I have my route. It's about 45 minutes. And I kind of, that's how I start my day. I have my cup of coffee and then I go take a walk and it just, you know, sometimes I don't even listen to music, but I like that alone time. I love water. Water relaxes me. And that's my um, most days, two days a week. I have a group of eight women and we meet at a park and we've been doing it since COVID and we have a trainer and we do a boot camp. Oh, and sweet. we and we talk about life and we talk and we do the weights and we do the walking and we laugh together and we cry together. And we've been doing this for about six years and we brought it outside during COVID. And during the cold weather, we were because um, I live in Chicago, we were doing it by Zoom. So I do that two days a week. So fun. I love yeah. the sense of community. And then too. oh, every Friday, I, I'm pretty much routine based. Every Friday, <laughs> my husband's a cyclist and Fridays he and I cycle to a coffee shop and, and cycle together and have coffee. Uh, Saturday mornings, I play tennis and Sunday mornings, I sometimes play tennis or do my walk. So I guess that's what I do. I kind of have a schedule, but I know uh, I, I like some time alone, but I do like to socialize as I exercise. That's amazing. And I love that movement is such a big part of your life. Too. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. All right. Next question for you. What is one purchase you recently made that has made your life better? One purchase I recently made that made my life better. Probably a new computer that was faster. And um, I got a ring light for my Zoom meetings. And Whoa. <laughs> $17.95 on Amazon. Um, and so I think that, you know, just having a faster computer and better technology, I personally never thought I could work as home as efficiently as I can. And I found that I can. So I guess it was kind of a boring purchase, but it has made my life easier. Love that. That's a great purchase. Okay. Last question for you. In your opinion, what is the secret to financial success? I think I mentioned it before, but I have to say living within your means. You live within your means and, and maybe by saying it twice, I'll get five of your listeners to do it or maybe more, maybe more, but living within your means. Um, I, I can't stress it enough. When I see people in trouble, it's because they didn't live with their means and they'll come to me, you know, at age 70 or 68 and they're like, I'm ready to retire. And I have to sometimes say, I hope you like your job because you know, you're, you know, you're not going to retire the way that you want to retire. If you would have lived within your means and start saving in your twenties and thirties, it would have had a huge impact down the road. And I do want to leave with my my dad's quote. It's the book is kind of dedicated to him. My stepdad who raised me, um, Dante Greco, and it, he always said, you can have anything you want, not everything. So what's most important? Love that. Sherry, thank you so much for your time. I had oh, so much fun getting to know you and learning same from here, you. Same here. And I'm just so glad you do what you do because the more people we can empower together, the better. So Agreed. And well, don't be afraid. You. Listeners, do not be afraid of this. Just take it and run with it because you will not look back. So true. Thank you so much for your time. I I do appreciate it a lot. Thanks. 
All right. What'd you think? Did you enjoy this episode? I definitely learned a ton about this. One of the things that really stood out to me that I didn't realize or thought, you know, didn't really think would be an issue is the importance of changing your beneficiaries. I haven't actually looked at mine in a hot minute. So it's something where I need to look at that a little bit more closely to make sure that those are updated. I'm curious what your takeaways were. Come hang out with me on Instagram. I'm at Whitney underscore Hanson underscore co. Let me know what really stood out to you and what your takeaways were specifically. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. I'm so grateful for your support. I will see you on Friday for five tip Friday or next week for another episode of the money nerds podcast. Bye.